So we have Acts chapter 24 before us this morning, which I am really praying that we're going to finish Acts by the end of the year. Um, It's looking like we're going to. I would encourage you guys to take some time. I know we have the holidays coming up and you'll have, uh, for some of you guys, an extra day or two off. I'd encourage you guys, before we finish the book of Acts, take a read through Acts again. One of the things that I've really learned is I study something or I've heard someone preach through a book of the Bible. When I go back and read it, it just it comes alive in a whole new way. So I'd encourage you guys, we've spent a whole year diving in, in depth to the book of Acts. Enjoy it. Go back and see what things maybe we've missed, what things that God has spoken to your heart over this last year and has brought to come to pass in your lives. Or be encouraged again, because if you're like me, I prepare these studies and I can't even remember what I taught a month ago. <laughs> you know, I'm quick to forget. So it's good to go back and to be reminded. So this morning... We're going to look again uh, at a Paul. Once again, like he's arrested. <laughs> he's finding himself in this pickle. Um, <clears throat> and we see these charges that are brought against Paul here in chapter 24. So let's read the first few verses together here. It says, Now after five days, Ananias the high priest came down with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullius. And these gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullius began his accusation, saying, Seeing that through you we enjoyed great peace and prosperity and being brought to this nation, and by your foresight, and we being brought to this nation by your, or sorry, for your foresight, verse 3, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, and with all thanksgiveness or thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to any further, but I beg you to hear by your uh, uh, courtesy here that you listen to a few words from us. For we have found this man, speaking of Paul, to be a what? A plague, a creator of dissension among the Jews throughout the world, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander, Lysus, came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. Let's pray. Father, we do ask as we consider this morning, I think things that uh, happen in our own lives. We know for Paul, this is, this is huge. He's on trial. Uh, they're wanting his life. Um, and there's times accusations come against us, Father, Lord, and uh, we want to we want to be able to to know how to please you, how to stand in truth. So we just pray, Father, that we would learn from Paul's example here this morning, uh, 
And uh, just give us wisdom. And for those that may be going through something right now, God, I pray that you'd give a lot of grace, Father, and understanding, uh, Lord, and help us just learn how to confront things in a way that honors you in a healthy way, Father. Amen? So if you noticed on the sermon title for this morning, I named this Procrastination. And I looked up, they did a bunch of different surveys, and I looked at one, and they looked into the most, uh, the, the five things that people put off until the last minute. I don't know if any, I know you guys are planners, you have all your Christmas shopping done already. Um, but the, the top five things that people put off, the number one was house chores and yard work. Guilty. <laughs> uh, the second one is the holiday gift shopping. The third was making a doctor's appointment or a dentist appointment. Last minute for that. Uh, third or fourth one would be calling relatives. And the fifth one was changing oil in the car. All right. How many guys are over 3,000 miles right now in your oil change? Do, do we have a four? Can we get a four? A four, a four, a four, a five, a five. Anybody got a five, a five, six, 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 seven? Okay, bro, I know you're newly married. Now, <laughs> something you need to do for your wife. <laughs> no, I think we've all done that. I know I've gotten seven or 8,000 before in the past, and that's just not good, right? You know, so procrastination, it's not a good thing in a lot of cases, guys. And this morning, we're going to hit on the topic of procrastination, and we'll see that a little bit later as we get into this chapter. But right here, we have Paul. And he had to defend himself five separate times during these two years that he's in Jerusalem, uh, in, in uh, Caesarea. And I want you guys to remember, uh, last time we had 40 men. There were 40 men that had vowed not to eat a thing until they had killed Paul. Okay, so this is what's going down. This is the context of what's happening here. Now, they were pretty mad and uh, hungry, and they had realized that their, their plot had uh, foiled. Um, so recanting their oath, they take advantage of Felix's wish to hear their side of the story. And they come up by bringing this professional orator extraordinaire uh, let, let's bring him to meet Felix, right? Um, we told, we're told of this man by the name of Tertullius in verse 1. He wanted Felix to see Paul as potentially a political uh, revolutionary. That's the way he was trying to paint Paul before Felix. Now we know that Tertullius, is, he's an orator. He's a professional speaker to make a skillful presentation of a case for the court, his training, not legal, it was rhetorical. Uh, the Jewish leaders wanted a persuader. It wasn't about the truth. It wasn't about the truth. And there, that's going on today. We have a lot of persuaders. Politicians are phenomenal at that. You know, I've watched debates before and people are questioned and I, I leave and I still don't know, like it sounded good, but I still don't know what you actually think and what you're actually going to do. Like people are just good at that and they buy into it just because it sounded good. It must be right. Right. <laughs> um, 
So he lays it on thick with flattery, we see. Look again at verse 5. It says, For we have found this man a plague, a creator of dissension among the Jews throughout the world, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and he, we seized him, and we wanted to judge him according to our law. You know, So he's trying to really paint this awful, untruthful picture of Paul. Um, Napoleon said this, he who knows how to flatter also knows how to slander. A lot of truth to that. So the three charges that were brought against Paul, let's catch it. First of all, that he was a pest. He was uh, creating dissension. Secondly, he was a leader, a sect of the Nazarenes. Okay, And that's referring to who? Christians, right? Followers of Christ. Do you guys know that ISIS... Praise God. Okay, I wish Trump would just stop tweeting <laughs> and stuff, but I appreciate his proactiveness with this ISIS thing. Okay? It's really been eradicated. I mean, just dealt with uh, strongly this last year. Okay? They've been pushed out of several countries. Okay? They shut down a ton. They're not doing what they were doing. But when they were doing their thing, they were calling Christians what? They would refer to him not as Christians, but as Nazarenes. That's how they refer to it in the Middle East. So this word Nazarene is referring to Christians. They would go, Mark, sometimes you guys have seen me or my father-in-law wears a shirt all the time, you know, with the Arabic letter N on it, okay? And that's how they would mark people's homes. They would put an N on it and, hey, you're a Christian. We know you're Christians. You get out of your house, you leave this country, or we're going to come back and kill you. That's what ISIS was doing to believers over in the Middle East. So he's being accused of being part of this sect of the Nazarenes. And the third thing we see uh, that he was a desecrator, profaning the temple. So those were the accusations or the charges they were making against the Apostle Paul. Now let's carry on and look at Paul's defense in verse 10. Then Paul, after the governor had nodded, to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more carefully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is not, or no more than twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with any nor inciting a crowd either in the synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove the things which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I find myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and men. Now, after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor with a Talmud, they ought to have been there or here before you object. And if they had 
anything against me or else let those who are here themselves say if they found any wrongdoing in me while I stood before the council, unless it is for this one statement, which I cried out standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. Wow. Pretty good defense, huh? Again, let's look at verse 10. It tells us, Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, he answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do more carefully answer for myself. So Paul doesn't use some dripping flattery here, but polite honesty, just politely speaking the truth to Felix. Now, the three defenses or counterpunches, let's say here, against these charges. He was a pest creating dissension we saw in verses 11 to 13 here. No, you can't get a riot going in 12 days was his argument, okay? Five of which I've been here with you, okay? It just ain't going to happen. That's logical. Also, he was, a, you know, he was a leader, okay, of this sect in verses 14 to 16, well, not a sect, okay? Tertullius' uh, euphemism here uh, was for a cult, okay? Hey, he's a cult leader, okay? Um, but he says, I'm of the way, okay? A religio licta, a legitimate religion in the Roman Empire. So he makes his defense that way. And I love, again, describing Christianity as the way. Okay, Nazarenes or the way. Don't you love that? Because there is only one way. We live in a day and age that people think there are many ways. No, we're of the way. Jesus said he's the way. No one gets to heaven. No one is going to get to the Father except through him. And either he was telling the truth or he's a liar, right? Well, we believe he is the truth. So first... Uh, he said, I serve the same God as the Jews. Secondly, he says, I believe the same word of God. Thirdly, he says, I also have the same hope for my future resurrection. And the fourth thing he says here, concerning my beliefs and lifestyle, I have a completely clear conscience. You know, I'm good. And doesn't it feel good to have a good conscience before God? You know, I'm not twisting. I'm not lying. This is just, I'm, I'm good with God. Like, um, verse 16, this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God or men. And we should strive to do the same, brothers and sisters. So he exercised himself okay, to strive. He practiced having this conscience this way. And I love it because God really is the one who's doing the keeping of us walking uprightly before him. Do you guys know that? We need his help. And praise God for his Holy Spirit that's in us otherwise. So, And then before man, having this conscience before God, not causing anyone else uh, to get tripped up. We don't want to do that. We, we want to see the best for others. Even if they're off their rocker and not standing in a truth, our heart needs to be one of grace and love towards that person. And we want to see them. We should be concerned for them, pray for them, and try to speak the truth gently <laughs> in love to them. And then the conscience, okay? Uh, that's the, the knowing part of who we are, that which knows right from wrong. 
Okay, and let me tell you what, as a Christian, isn't it horrible when our conscience isn't right before God? You know, that's just one of the ickiest feelings that we can have. And isn't it so good, like, just to be at peace with your maker, to know your conscience is right? You know, and if you have a conscience that is off, that has been seared, get in the word, know the truth. And when the truth is revealed, be quick to repent. Confess those sins. There's no condemnation in Christ. He wants to forgive, but we got to be truthful. We need to be honest, okay? And it's repentance happens like that. We just got to be broken and real and just surrender, submit to God. And when we are willing to humble our way, ourselves in such a way, it's beautiful to have that peace with Him. So, um, I love how our conscience warns us of evil, approves of well-doing, and condemns wrongdoings. Francis, uh, Francis Schaeffer said this, Biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. And I would have to agree with him because I've seen that in the church and it is really ugly. So, Verses 17 to 21, he's a desecrator, right? So no matter, uh, matter of fact, he entered to purify himself. That's why he went to the temple, right? Thus affirming his own personal commitment to what? Temple worship, okay? I'm a Jew. I'm here to worship the living God, okay? Also, he came to bless the Jewish poor with finances that he brought, so he had not gone to the temple to tear it down, but to support it. So these guys are just twisting things big time in their, accus their accusations towards them. And oh, by the way, I want you guys to know that according to the Roman law of the day, um, my accusers need to be present in person to press charges. Where are they? Like, I love that Paul just like, hey guys, <laughs> where are they? They have this hired orator. <laughs> where are the guys accusing me? So then he ends with the resurrection. And do you guys know that's the most important of the important thing of the Christian faith? If Jesus did not rise from the dead, what we're doing this morning is pointless. It's in vain. We're wasting our time. Okay. Um, but he did rise from the dead. Thus, him stating this and wrapping up his defense, coming back to the resurrection, proving this was a religious matter. Okay, this is a religious issue going on. It's not a civic. Okay, so there, uh, I think it's a great defense. And I'm sure the Holy Spirit played a big part in that, right? Do you guys know that Jesus told us not to worry when we need to go before kings, courts, others? Okay, why? Because he would give us, the Holy Spirit would speak. And that is so true. To be honest with you guys, I get nervous with public speaking. I still do to this day. I've done it thousands of times. It's gotten easier. But there's times like, I just don't know what to say. <laughs> you know? And that's where the Holy Spirit is there to help us, guys. And sometimes we just need, God's putting it on your heart. I want you to go over to your neighbor. Or I want you to go talk to this person about me. <gasps> I don't know what to say. Don't worry about it. Just go open your mouth and see what happens. And let me tell you, God will show up. And you'll be sitting there just like, oh my gosh, I'm preaching to myself. Where is this coming from? You know, it's, it's, I love the spirit of God in us, guys. Um, let's look at Felix's indecision here. Verse 22 to 27. It says, but when Felix heard these things, having more 
accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and he said, when Lysus, the commander, comes down, I will make a decision of your case. So he commanded that the centurion uh, to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and he heard him concerning the faith of Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul, that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, guys, okay, uh, Prochius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Wow. Felix means happy. Did you guys know that? Now you guys know what's up with Felix the cat. Yeah, happy, right? Um, but Felix wasn't happy. <laughs> Are you guys catching this? Dude, you're supposed to be happy, and you're not happy with what Paul is saying about Jesus, okay? Um, now, Antonis, Felix, uh, the pre uh, uh, he was in charge there of uh, Judea. Uh, he, he rebelled, or sorry, he, he was recalled uh, by Nero uh, in 60 AD. He was ac uh, accused of poor administration and uh, to answer cruelty charges. So he uh, was very brutal, incompetent politician of the day. Uh, he actually began his life as a slave. I don't know if you guys know that or not. He was a slave and he bought his way out of slavery. He was the first one ever to do that. Okay, And it was really from his brother's uh, influence that Felix had risen to be a freed man and then become governor of a Ro uh, Roman providence. Uh, so he was the first one ever to do that. So Tactius speaks of Felix here as wielding the power of a king with the mind of a slave. So that was his problem with him. Now I want to talk about his wife, okay, Andrusilla. Okay? Um, she was the third wife that he had. When she was only 16, Felix uh, was... Uh, or with the help of Cyprotite uh, uh, here, a magician called Atmos, persuaded her to leave her husband and then to marry him. But she wanted to hear from Paul. She wanted to know why. Well, she had been raised in a family full of wickedness and turmoil. Her life was a mess. Think about it for a second. Her dad, Herod Agrippa I, remember he was the one that killed James, okay? Um, her aunt and great uncle, uh, Herodias and Herod Antipas, they were the ones that had John the Baptist's head on a platter, right? Uh, had him killed. Uh, her grandfather, uh, Herod uh, Eratopoulos, uh, was strangled by his father. Herod the Great, 
who ordered all the killings of the baby boys in Bethlehem? Okay, would you guys say that she's part of a dysfunctional family a little bit? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so perhaps in Paul's uh, Paul's Jesus, maybe she would find hope, maybe find answers, find a clean conscience, finally being able to be forgiven, okay? A chance for a new beginning. So Paul speaks to her and Felix, uh, not about marriage, not about family themes, okay? But about faith in Christ Jesus, about righteousness, about self-control, about the judgment that was to come. So Paul's outstanding character seen not only in his public defense, but also in his private talk. So again, we see that all the way back in verse 1 of this chapter. The same faithfulness, the same frankness, the same fearlessness. That's just who Paul was in Christ. But Felix was afraid, so he told him to go away instead of repenting and trusting. What a bummer. So Paul held the cup of truth to their parched lips, but they weren't able to drink. They weren't willing to listen. Now, I want to hit on self-control for a second. Uh, Verse 25 again. Um, There's an illustration. Man's nature, it's like a high-spirited horse written by an experienced owner. The rider would neither starve the animal till all its spirit had left it, nor pamper it by letting it have its head. Rather, would he keep it under firm control that it might recognize its master, feel his power, and do his will. I don't know about you guys, but that's how in tune I want to be with my maker. Okay? And just like, you're calling the shots. (laughs) You know, we're just going to work together. It shouldn't be a hard thing. And hopefully some of you guys are in that same place that you just have learned that surrender works. You've learned the hard way maybe (laughs) through experiences and I don't want to do it that way anymore, okay? I'm just going to yield, let you do your thing. So let's talk about the procrastination of Felix. So actually Felix was a prisoner, okay? If we really step back and look at this text, I think he really was the prisoner here and Paul was the prosecutor. That's what I see happening. You see, Felix knew he was guilty, but instead of accepting Christ, he delayed. And Paul says, as you guys know, he's written 14 books in the New Testament, a good chunk of the New Testament. Um, He said the convenient time to get saved is when? Now. Now, right? 2 Corinthians 16, behold... uh, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And even the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his name while he is near. Seek him. So maybe you're on the fence. Maybe you've been trying out church, reading the scriptures, thinking about the claims of Christ. You know, now is the day of salvation. (laughs) Do it now. Seek him while he's near. Because man, Satan doesn't want you seeking him. He's going to come in and try to get you derailed to stop doing that. And it's so easy when you're not in Christ just to run. Okay, I'm off doing my own thing again. I've tried that. I've had so many people I've shared with. Yeah, I looked into Christianity. Yeah, I read the Bible. Oh, really? What did you learn? 
tell me what you read. What's your understanding of the gospel? Who God is? I'm like, I don't, I don't think you actually did really read. I think you maybe you skimmed for a season, you know, looked at a couple things, but you didn't really seek because you would know a little bit more. And that's one of those things, guys, we really need to pray for people's hearts to be seeking the Lord. So once upon a time, Satan called together his evil spirits and asked, how will we deal with continuing to lose souls to the other side? One arose and said, hey, I'll go to earth and I will tell men that there is, uh, that the Bible is just fables, just made up stories that it's not divinely appointed. No, that will not do. Another said, let me go and I will tell men that there is no God, that there is no Savior, that there is no heaven, no hell. No, that will not do. We cannot make men believe that. Suddenly another arose and suggested, no, I will journey to the world of men and I will tell them that there is a God, that there is a Savior, that there is a heaven, that there is a hell. Yes, but I also will tell them that there's no hurry. Tomorrow will do. And Satan said, that will work. It's a fanciful, fanciful story, of course. Yes, but understand that Satan doesn't have to convince people to reject the truth. Just put it off. Just put it off. So delay dulls the edge of the sword of the Spirit. That's all it does. You see, each time we say, Tomorrow, Lord, the Spirit's pricking, prodding becomes less effective. Pretty soon we are in a lethargic yawn in response to God's truth. Then a procrastination callous has formed over our hearts and although the Spirit stabs us with conviction, we don't feel a thing. So I want you guys to imagine that inside your conscience that there's this large, sharp-edged box, and each time that you sin, the box turns, causing the corners to prick your conscience. Commit the same sin again and again, and the corner nicks you again. However, as the sin becomes a habit, the concerns are worn down a little and a little more, resulting in less and less pain to your conscience. Eventually, it smooths the box into a harmless ball, and when you sin, you feel nothing. So has a certain sin in your life been eroding the sensitivity of your conscience? Deal with it before it's too late, guys. Deal with it. It's hard being a parent. I want to train my children well. I know what they do when they sin, when they disobey. That's outward things of what's really going on in their hearts, what's really happening. And I love, as a father who loves them and wants to see their best, I love when my kids, when there's a genuine breaking over their sin, like a true repentance, that their conscience is so intact that they know they've done wrong, you know, that there's no discipline that's needed. They're just quick, repent, I am sorry, you know. And that's what I think God wants from me as his son, the same thing, like, yeah, 
You know, I don't need to fight this. I don't need to lie around it. I don't need to get away with it. I don't need to cover it up. I'm just broken. You're right, God. You're right. We need to keep those consciences intact. And the cool thing is the Holy Spirit helps us with that. He can make that new. Things that maybe we've gone too far with. He can renew that in us. That's what God does if we let him. But we got to be humble. we got to be real with him. So don't allow yourselves to become calloused because of sin, guys. Don't let it happen. God loves you way too much. And if you are being convicted, it's because he loves you. Do you guys know that? He chastened whom he loves. He loves us. So let's start wrapping this up. Let's look at verse 26 again. Meanwhile, he also hoped that the money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. So I look at this. What a divine patience. God kept after this man, you know, allowing two whole years, guys. The Lord giving Felix more opportunities to hear the gospel over and over again. Maybe you're here today because you want to please your wife. Maybe you're here because mom and dad go to church and they say, as long as I'm under your household or under your roof, you are going to church. (laughs) Great. Have you responded to the gospel? Have you said yes to Jesus? How many times do you need to hear? Because you are in danger of hardening your heart. Okay, God loves you. He's placed you in a place to hear the truths of Jesus. But let me tell you what, don't be like Pharaoh. He was a man that God kept revealing himself to, speaking to, speaking to, and he kept hardening his heart over and over and over again. And finally God said, okay, you want a hard heart? Have it. I'm not going to force you. Okay? You can do what you want. So don't allow that to happen. Verse 27, but after two years... Procaius Festus preceded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, he left Paul bound. So this was not a hung jury, but a hung governor. Okay? He had no grounds on which to accuse Paul, but at the same time, he did not want to offend the Jews. I want to end with this thought. While atheism has slain its hundreds and vice its Thousands, procrastination has slain hundreds of thousands. Just as men wishing to sleep will draw heavy curtains over the windows that prevent light from waking them, so do they shut out the light of conviction by curtains of procrastination. Let's pray. Father, we want to be those that do walk with you, walk closely with you. And we admit that procrastination um, doesn't allow for that. God, so we want to we be quick to obey, quick to say yes. And it's easy to do when we know you know best, Lord, but we, we get selfish, Lord. We get uh, consumed at times by the things of this world. Pray you'd forgive us that you again would enlighten our eyes just to see how good you are, that there is none better than you, Jesus. Father, we've been created for your glory. We ask that you'd help us to do that well. 
We know from 2 Corinthians 4.4 that the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe. At least the light of Christ would shine upon them. God, there's so many who are blind and need to see. So we would ask, Lord, for our loved ones, for our neighbors, our co-workers. God, open their eyes. We know how glorious the gospel is. They need to know. So please, Lord, use us. Help us to be bold. Help us to be patient like Paul was. Lord, just speaking in truth with patience and gentleness. Lord, teach us to do that well. Father, we thank you that we're invited into that process. Lord, that we get to be about our family's business, your business. We thank you for that. So I just pray that you'd help us, Lord, and reveal there are things in our lives, Lord, that need to be dealt with. Hidden sin, procrastination. Lord, even when we find ourselves in conflict with others, we know you may be working things in our heart and life that you want to bring to light, Father, that we would be able to repent and work through. God, you're so good not to leave us, Lord, as we are, Father, but you're there helping us grow, making us more like you every day. We thank you for that, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen.